Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week in Health IT. We spent the last decade putting in place this kind of base digital infrastructure that's been pretty onerous but it's helped us get to a certain level. But I really feel like 2022, 2023 are the years when we're gonna begin to be able to see the fruits of our labors. Welcome to This Week in Health IT. This is one of our end of the year episodes. I hope you enjoy. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week in Health IT, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. I want to thank you again. And in December, we do a bunch of end of the year episodes. I think you're going to enjoy them. We do two with our advisors. I did one, just me talking through chronologically the news of the year. And then we're going to do two, one where my staff selects the best news day episodes from the year. The second is you're going to get to meet the team and they're going to come on and talk about things. So this is one of those episodes. Before we get there though, I want to remind you that for next year, we have some changes to This Week in Health IT. We're going to have four channels, four distinct channels on iTunes next year. We're going to have This Week Health Academy, This Week Health Community, This Week Health Conference, and This Week Health News. So if you are already subscribed to the Today Show, that will become the This Week Health News Show, and you're going to have the Today Show and the Newsday Show in there. If you're subscribed to This Week in Health IT, that will become This Week Health Conference. And that's where we're going to have keynote and we're going to have solution showcases and some other campaigns around specific topics. This Week Health Academy is new. That's really around education. We're going to have a show called Insights in there where we take the highlights from the last four years and we break them down into 10-minute episodes. They're going to air three times a week. I would use this show to mentor people, to talk about what the various leaders in the industry have said over the last four years and how it relates to what you're doing at your health system. I'd also use it to bring people up to speed. If you hire somebody new into healthcare, this is a great channel for that. And then This Week Health Community is the channel where we're going to have guest hosts who are going to tap into their network. And we have CIOs, we have CMIOs, we have clinical informatics, we have data scientists who I've tapped on the shoulder and asked them if they would essentially interview people within their networks about topics that are a little closer to what you're doing on a daily basis. And we're excited about airing those channels. Again, four new channels. If you're not subscribed to all four of them, you're going to be missing some content. We would love for you to subscribe to all four. Go ahead and hit thisweekhealth.com slash shows. And there's information there on how to subscribe. You could also hit iTunes and search for This Week Health, any one of those academy, conference, news, or community. And you can subscribe that way. And we would love to have you be a part of the community again next year. Special thanks to our Influence Show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare and Health Lyrics for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. Now, on to our show. I am excited to do this show. We have Drex DeFord with us, Lee Milligan, Dr. Lee Milligan, Ann Weiler, and Frank Knightum have all joined us for this end of the year episode. And we're going to, if you're not watching this on video, it's worth looking at video because we're going to do this Brady Bunch style, which we don't usually do on this show. So we'll be able to see other people's reaction to things that are 
said, and we're just going to look at two simple questions. What are the biggest moments of the year from this year from a healthcare and a healthcare IT standpoint? And the second question towards the end we'll get to is what do you think is going to be the biggest movement or the biggest thing going on in 2022? Two questions. Sounds pretty simple, right? If we got a two question test in college, we'd be pretty happy, but I have a feeling this one's going to be uh, going to be fun. I, I'm going to kick us off because I did the Today Show and I've done 230 episodes. And so I've been following the news probably closer this year than I ever have. For instance, Haven ended in January. The JP Morgan, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway thing yeah. ended in January. That feels to me like it was a lifetime ago. And, and it's kind of crazy that that happened this year. When I think about the impact of that, the initial impact always, I think, is the wrong impact where healthcare goes, see, this is really hard. You can't mm -hmm. do this. And I'm not sure that's the right response. The right response is it is really hard. And, and big tech knows it's very hard. But each one of those companies is moving on and doing something else. And they're just failing forward. They're saying, all right, that didn't work. What's next? What's next? And I think we're going to keep seeing that happen. I'm not sure that was the biggest moment of the year, but that was definitely one of the moments I wanted to start with. Drex, how about you? We'll go around the room, give everybody a chance to, to throw one out, and then we'll see what happens. I'm going to go down the cybersecurity path. So I think one of the biggest stories of the year was probably the Scripps breach. And the reality that kind of ransomware everywhere became a public health issue. And that led to cybersecurity, cyber liability insurance companies trying to find the exit when it came to providing insurance to healthcare organizations. I mean, I kind of put all of that in one big bundle. It seems like every time we talk and every time we pick up a tablet and look at the news, there's a cybersecurity breach going on or somebody's struggling to find their way out of a cybersecurity breach. And that seems to me to be one of the biggest stories for healthcare IT this year. That has to be true. One of the things with the insurance I thought was interesting, I'm talking to people now and they're saying, heck, the requirements that the insurance companies are putting around the cyber liability insurance at this point, if you follow it, you're not going to get breached. It's like you have to stand up dual factor authentication. You have to, I mean, all the technologies sure, are sure. out and it's just, it's getting to the point. And I've heard some companies say, look, we're, we're heading in the direction of self-insuring for cyber liability. Because it's, I've seen and heard more healthcare organizations than ever before tell me that they're going to self-insure because either the price tripled, the deductible tripled, the the amount of inspection and control that the insurance company wants should something happen is just overwhelming, or they weren't able to qualify for insurance, and so they're taking that money and spending it in another way to sort of shore up their cyber program. So there's. There's a lot more people taking a lot more risk out there than there has been in the past, I think. So for the rest of you, was there a bigger story than that this year? I will take it. I like the, how uh, Drex wraps these things. I had done a lot of thinking about this, and it's there's so many things that happened this year. And what was that common, interesting thing that happened? I would call it the, the great resignation, right? I think one of the things mm -hmm. that's coming up. IT uh, staff shortages, nurse uh, shortages, people leaving their jobs. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal the other day, 2 million people retired early and they're never coming back. 16% of nurses leaving. So I guess I would say, what's the impact of across the board on all these technologies for their people? And I think the good side is stats show there's more companies are starting up now than ever it started in the last five years. So maybe the dark, the light side of this last year being so dark is... Uh, 
people getting out trying to do these crazy things that they always wanted to do. Uh, the bad side, though, is as being a technology vendor, nobody has time to do anything. It has a tremendous impact. Well, what, one more stat. Three million women have left the workforce through the pandemic. So those are all some, some startling numbers. The nature of work has, has really changed. What does that look like today? And what does that look like going into 2022? Is the nature of work going to fundamentally shift how we deliver healthcare? Is that a general purpose question yeah. for everyone? It's a, I'm throwing that to, I'm throwing that to everybody because <laughs> I, I think it is one of the bigger things that's going on right now. In fact, I think it's one of the top of mind issues for most healthcare organizations is the nurse shortage and the battle for talent has gotten to be pretty, pretty robust. Let's just say that's the nice way of saying it. It's gotten pretty robust. Yeah, Bill, I can speak to that here at Asante, three hospital system, and we've got massive shortages as it relates to talent right now. We've got a 16% open rate right now, highest we've ever had. And we're, we're doing everything we can to understand what this new landscape looks like. And I don't know that anybody has this perfectly figured out. I do think one of the main keys is to be open and creative to new ways to engage with folks who perhaps will work here. And we have to kind of understand that historical ways of doing business may not be the best way to approach it moving forward. So here within uh, our system, we have a whole group of folks we're focusing on, but we also have docs who are leaving as well. I, I was talking to one doc who's a, a really respected cardiologist here who was considering, as, as was mentioned, just hanging it up for a little while and, and just be done for 18 months and then maybe come back at some point. So these are really unprecedented times for, for our system, for sure. From an IT perspective, we really have to be creative about how we create an environment that is really welcoming, enticing. It really creates a family environment for folks. I've really tried to focus on kind of four main elements. Pay is obviously huge, right? You got to make sure you get the pay piece, right? But that's not the only piece and pay alone will not keep people around. We got to figure out a way to have a balance, true balance for folks so that they can have a real life while they're also contributing. There has to be flexibility built in so that it's kind of normal, like clocking in at eight o'clock and clocking out at five o'clock. That's no longer something that we need to hold to. And then lastly, we have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to have both satisfaction and professional development in this space. So we're working really hard to try to create a framework to allow that to happen. One of the things that we've recently done is we stood up a local, uh, a group of folks from our organization to look at work from home, to really make some recommendations around how we can stay connected to one another and how we can keep leadership connected to frontline staff. Because given the work from home dynamic and the, the challenge of being geographically disparate, we really need to think outside the box in terms of how we stay connected to our folks and remain that family that we're trying to create. I, I notice you're in your office. I am. So was the number 15% or 17% open rate right now? 16.1 right now. 16.1 open rate. The other metric I'm, I'm curious about is there's a certain percentage of the total population that will be on site every day, right? Healthcare is delivered face-to-face. -face. So what percentage of your population just is going to work on that campus? I can't give you that exact number. I can tell you from an IT perspective, 85% of my staff is work from home right now. So we got people have to stay on-prem, our networking folks, some of our folks working on the servers, engineers, field support, and then biomedical engineering. 
those are kind of the main areas that are on from everybody else that work from home. But what about clinical informatics? What about that tie that we used to have where the clinical informaticists were saying, hey, round with them, see how they're using the systems and that kind of stuff. Are we going to, we just going to give up on that? Yeah, the rounding piece has been interesting. We've kind of gone back and forth on rounding, depending on what kind of where we're at with our numbers. When the Delta surge was was really at its peak around here, and we had 190 inpatients with COVID and, and 60 on, on vents, at that point, we were backing off on rounding. Now we're actually going back to doing rounding with appropriate social distancing. In the interim, we did virtual rounding, and I'll tell you, it just was not as effective. Interesting. And you did a lot of work with health systems and, and you saw the value of rounding and those kind of things. Are we going to lose something from a culture standpoint of that interaction between the, uh, the analysts, the technologists and the, and the clinicians? We could. I mean, I think the question is how you know, do we go back to doing more of this in person and, and maybe and also understanding. I, oh, I'm hoping what happens is we actually understand the value of in person and where that's necessary versus the, it has to be in person. I, I have to say, when I was doing our, our startup, we bucked the trend of health systems constantly wanting us to be on site for things that were very easily handled over the phone. But, you know, at the same time, the value of when we were developing a sugar pod, the scale for diabetic patients to be sitting in the clinic, in the wound and foot clinic all day, was absolutely huge. And same thing with, with Wellpepper, we sat beside the surgical schedulers all day to see what they were doing as they were moving from you know this screen to this, this piece of paper. So I think it's a matter of like understanding the right times. And I'm hoping what it also does is for, for startups, well, not just for startups, but for the environment that health systems realize that an awful lot can be accomplished on a conference call on a Zoom. That I'm hoping will change. And, and I'm hoping not just because of the, the time and the environment of people flying and the cost for startups, but also just because of the openness to not have to have all of your vendors on site all the time. And that gives more diversity to health systems of what vendors they can work with. You end up in a situation sometimes where it's like, if you can't drive there and talk to them, then they don't want to talk to you. And it's very hard to run a global company that way. <laughs> I, I want to go around the four of you real quick. Are we going to snap back? Let's assume we're beyond the pandemic, 90% vaccination rate. Clearly we're living in, in I'm, I'm making a scenario world, here. Yeah, 90% yeah, vaccination rate. Are we going to snap back to where we were before? Or have things fundamentally changed? And the nature of consulting has changed. The nature of how IT is delivered. The nature of hiring has is, is changed. Culture within the health systems has changed. The dynamic of agility has changed. Are, are we going to snap back? Or are we going to establish a new norm. Frank, we'll start with you. Do you think we have a new norm or do you think we're going to snap back? I don't think we ever go back. I don't think we ever go back to going to work full time in the office. I don't think anything goes back. And, you know, to your opening question, what was the biggest story? And I, I think all you will laugh at this. Remember three or four years ago, uh, healthcare would say, no way would we ever go to the cloud. And now look at this. I mean, Thank goodness for all the clouds out there. Thank goodness for work from home. And I just think people have gotten so used to it. We've gotten good to startups. We don't really need to be all over the place. So I don't think we ever go back. And I think that's going to be good for technology. I think, and, and Drex will back me up here. I think we as IT vendors, we need to get better at what we do. We need to make sure there's, you don't have to have the person hit, sitting there hitting the blue button every day. I don't think we ever go back, Bill, ever. 
Yeah, I definitely, I would agree. I don't know that we're ever going back, but I mean, I think Anne's caution is a, a really good one for us to pay attention to. Health systems and other organizations have years and years and years and years worth of habits built up that say nobody works from home. Everybody has to come to the organization and work. And at the beginning of the pandemic, you saw organizations who said nobody can work from home. On Monday, on Wednesday, say we're sending 6,000 people to work from home. And I don't think they've gotten over that habit yet. And so to Anne's point, I think there's organizations who are leaning back into their old habits saying, you have to come here and you have to work in person. You have to do it just because I said so. That's how we work. And I think the organizations like Lee's that are more flexible, figuring out when people really need to be there and when they don't, how you can work remotely. Those are the organizations who ultimately are going to kind of take the lead and continue to thrive. I thought that was a really interesting conversation in one of our executive team meetings where one of our senior executives asked, asked the question, well, let's get everybody back on-prem. Let's put together a team that's going to be able to kind of create a framework to make that happen. And there was kind of a, a pause for a moment. And one of the other executives asked a qu good question. They said, why? And that sparked an interesting conversation around kind of what, what is the ultimate goal? And I don't know that we've you know, fully figured that out. But to, to Anne's point from before, I think we have to be thoughtful about when it makes sense to be on-prem because there are, right? There are certain scenarios that are certain like one-on-one -on -one scenarios with certain individuals where, where that connection, that human you know, one-on-one -on -one connection might be important. And there are other scenarios where from a practical and efficiency perspective, it's just way better in a virtual environment. And I don't know that we figure that out. The other piece that kind of is separate but attached to this a little bit is we've introduced so many communication mechanisms between texting and Teams and Jabber and Slack. email and Slack, <laughs> right? And so I think our staff frequently, they don't know which communication mechanism to leverage for which particular circumstance. And so I don't know that I certainly have not done a great job so far at, at kind of identifying what are the kind of the appropriate channels for folks to use based on the appropriate circumstance. There's also the box and SharePoint, and you've got four or five of those things that you're dealing with too, like trying to remember where have you put things or where did somebody send you something? That's right. Did you guys ever see the McLaughlin group? And he used to do this show and he, oh, he, yeah. he would try to pinpoint it. So Frank's saying, we're not going back. Drex hedged and said, you know, there's, there's some whatever going back. Lee, are we going back or have we fundamentally changed? One of the two. We have fundamentally changed. Fundamentally changed. And going back or fundamentally changed? Fundamentally changed. And I'll use this to talk about what I think is, is still the top story of the year, which is COVID. We saw health systems and governments, governments move into digital communications with their patients and their constituents at a speed that I thought was impossible. And I've been saying I work at I work at AWS now, and I can almost never talk about <laughs> what we're doing, but I run a service called Pinpoint, which is for multi-channel communications. So I was nodding a lot about the, which, you know, which communication channel do we use, but, you know, our, our customers, our health systems and governments sending COVID notifications, vaccine appointments, contact tracing, all of this to their constituents. And those governments got up and running faster than I've ever seen, sending millions of messages. And... Yeah. So all of the things that you said of why this, I think it was a, a myth busting year. All of the reasons that people had for not doing things went away when there's a, an emergency. And now the awesome thing is they've got that infrastructure stood up. 
they see how people are reacting. I'm thinking also about like the, the things you get about, well, old people can't communicate this way and you're leaving them behind. Well, my parents are walking around with their COVID passports. They are in Canada, but their COVID passports uh -huh. you know, on their phones and showing them when they go to a restaurant or, or whatever. So there's so much that's not going to go back. It can't, like you cannot say all these things of patients, HIPAA can't communicate with the patients, HIPAA, old people can't do this. Like all of those things are not true anymore. They've been proven wrong. So we can't go back. That's, that's my take. If it weren't for one other factor, I think we would absolutely go back like a hundred percent snapback. And that other factor is labor. There's just a shortage of labor. If we didn't have this shortage of labor, I think health systems right now would be planning on how to bring everyone back. And if not today, within the next 48 or 24 months, everyone would be back because it's what we know. It's how we operate. And we're one team. And you have this idea of fairness. All of our clinicians have to come on site. Why do these people get to live at the beach and work at the beach and that kind of stuff? We need our Epic analysts next. To, I mean, I hear all the arguments. It absolutely would happen. But the problem is, it's coinciding with this labor shortage, which I think is going to, to make us continue to be creative and whatnot. And you brought it up, biggest story has to be COVID. COVID, yes, and vaccine, I think, are probably the two big stories for the year. Do you want to tee that one up or? I, th I think that, like for us, everything that we're talking about, all these trends have happened because of COVID. And I think as well, when we were talking in 2020, we, I don't think we knew that that would still be the biggest story of 2021 and that the changes and the repercussions would keep happening. I certainly thought we would be back in the office by now and, and we're not. And we're still seeing people needing new, I mean, this is so funny, I think. At the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a lot of customers coming on of like, okay, we've got to send COVID-related messages and they were around contact tracing and just general stuff. And then the customers were telling us, and this was state and local governments and hospitals like, oh, we're going to stop sending so many messages because this event is ending. Well, guess what? <laughs> like they, they had vaccine appointments, they had vaccine availability, they had new regulations, they had where to go get COVID tests. Like the messages are still going. And so I was actually prepared for, okay, some of these customers, we have to figure out what they're going to do next. Yeah. Don't. We don't because they're still doing these things. And now that they're doing them, like there's absolutely, I don't see us. Why wouldn't we send flu shot notifications now that we can? We will. Most basic one. I don't know why everyone's not doing that. It's interesting as you talk about that, because I went back and did a little research before we uh, jumped on this call. And so we had an election that proceeded this year. And so we had a changing of the guard and changing, presumably a changing of approach and those kinds of things. We had a minimal amount of vaccine early in the year. So that was the big story. What are we going to do with the, we didn't have like a full supply. We had people driving 200 miles to get their first shot and that kind of stuff. We had all sorts of scheduling challenges, distribution challenges and production challenges. Well, that gave way through the year. But I think we need to remember that the year started there. One of the stories I covered was Disney World, going to Disney World in, I think it was March or April. It was a big deal. It was a huge deal. I mean, Disney World had opened. What were they going to do? And they had social distancing in their lines. If you thought their lines were long before, their lines were massive with social distancing. I mean, it was, they, they wrapped them around outside the park. I mean, it was, they were all over the place. But that was sort of the precursor to, okay, what does it look like to try to ease back into 
uh, normal. And we get to the end of this year and we have the health conference and they have, everyone gets tested right there on site, get your results within 30 minutes. So you have a conference with 4,500-ish people. They say 6,000, but I think the number was about 4,500 that were on site. And you knew that everybody you were talking to was just tested yesterday and everybody came back clean. So we were working through how, how to function. We did mass vaccination events for the first time. I think for the first time, I can't remember a time in history where we sort of did it this way, or at least tried to enable it digitally. A couple of really cool stories. Uh, you had Atrium Health do it on one of the NASCAR speedways. So the people drove in, drove on the, the NASCAR track, drove into the pit, got their shot and drove out on the pit. Other organizations did it on football fields. I know that University mm -hmm. of, I think it was one of the Colorado health systems did it on the football field. So people actually got to go down on the baseball field and the football field. So that's some of the things that we did. But this year, and we're still not through it. I think a majority, I know our state's at 60% vaccinated at this point. We just went through a major surge. I'm in Florida. I know California, I was looking at the numbers. They're at 62% fully vaccinated. It's hard. I think what we learned is it's really hard to get 100% of Americans to do anything. Heck, it's hard to get 100% of my family to do anything if I tell them to do it. This was a, an interesting learning year. Lee, I'm, I'm going to go to you. I mean, what have we learned going through this year? Since you're the only physician on the call, I, I, I feel safe going to you. Yeah. So I think one of the things I learned is that when it comes to these public health scenarios, that the, the public health infrastructure was much less robust than I think any of us anticipated. I think even being deep within our health system here in Southern Oregon, there was an expectation that the public health infrastructure would be either a partner or really be kind of a strong ally in moving forward. And although they had good people, great intentions, trying to help and partner with that, they certainly did not have the resources and the infrastructure to partner in any meaningful way associated with this work that you were just describing. And so it really fell to the individual health systems to put the, that responsibility on their shoulders to carry the communities to be able to make this a reality. And if you look around the country, really, the points you made were, were, were accurate, really amazing and creative ways to deliver this medical scenario to huge, massive amounts of people in innovative ways. So I think, to me, it's a testament to the creativity of the individual local geographies and making this work within their system. I also would mention that I do think there's huge value in kind of understanding both sides of the argument and being able to have these, you know, kind of human one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks around uh, the vaccine itself. What we did find is that just making a proclamation about what is right doesn't work. Doesn't work effectively for folks. So hats off to many of my primary care fellow physicians who have really sat down one-on-one -on -one with many of their patients and kind of walked through the, the pros and cons of, of vaccination. That's hard work. Trust me, that is really, really hard work to do for these folks. And I, again, hats off to those folks who've done it because it has meaningfully changed uh, the dynamic. It's hard work too that they're doing in a system where they're not being reimbursed to do that particular kind of work, right? That's right. They don't get paid for the 20 minute, 30 minute conversation they may get into around this. That's right. 
It's amazing. Who has another story or another event from this year? Clearly, I mean, COVID, the vaccine, labor, cybersecurity, these are some of the biggest things that happened this year, but anything else that you think really shaped this year? I got, I got one that probably would have been a bigger deal had COVID not still been prevalent. I think, I think Anne's exactly spot on. That is the story, continued story. But 21st Century Cures is a big deal to our patients and to our, our providers still. And if you intersect with the health system at all, and you're able to immediately and transparently see physician's notes, laboratory results, imaging results, that whole scenario has been, has been huge, uh, at least for our folks here. I think the interoperability pieces will play out over time. And I think some of the businesses are going to line up behind a newfound capability. And so that is yet to be unpacked fully. But in terms of the immediate impact to the, to the patients, it's been huge. Now, it didn't come easy, right? A lot of our physicians initially had a lot of reticence around the concept of a patient receiving their laboratory results prior to the doc having a chance to look at it. And we had to work through a lot of those issues, including kind of restructuring our conversations with patients about what to expect and what those results might mean. But the reality is patients have a level of transparency to their own individual health that they've never had before. Absolutely. I, I think that is a big story. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out two more and then we're just going to go on to the next question. And that is Kaufman Hall reported big losses for health systems. And so I think there's a lot of financial stress within healthcare. And that's definitely one of the stories. And it wouldn't be a show if we didn't talk about the fact that there's just a gobs of money in health tech investment right now. I just went to the health conference and just watched people walk around with cards and wallets. Like you need money? How much money <laughs> you need? What series, what round are you on? Can we, whatever. And, and this year, Transparent raised $100 million without batting an eye. And I think that's more indicative of what they're looking for. Because I asked a couple of, of the investors, what's the number one indicator of success for you? And they say, someone who's done it before. So a leader who has successfully gone through the gauntlet and gotten through the other side. And so that's why someone like Glenn Tolman has no trouble raising $100 million, but somebody else might have trouble raising $5 million. Um, I think that there, there's something tied to that too around Theranos has come back to the top as the trial has continued on. And so as somebody who hasn't been through the gauntlet the first time, a lot of highly overstated expectations that were not met. And there's a lot of, for folks who are interested in this space, there's a lot of interesting pieces to that story that are still coming out as part of that trial. And, and it's a cautionary tale for the VC world to measure twice and cut once. Yep. I don't know. I think it's super frothy right now. Yeah. I, just saw, I just saw a company, never heard of the person. I mean, I didn't dig into it, but it was 25 million Series A doing home health, been in business for one year. Hmm. 25 million Series A. Like somebody just sent me, Zelf had their Series B, 24 million. And I yeah. was like, hmm, that seems low considering- they've been when around I'm for a while there. and doing some stuff, yeah. And everything I see, this is this is like scary to me because I was once the naive, like, no, you can solve healthcare. Everything I see is like, wait a minute, we've seen this idea before. I saw Jack Stoddart, his new thing. I'm like, I don't understand the difference between this and Iora. The money, I think that's the, the thing with COVID is actually the VCs suddenly went, oh, healthcare. Very interesting. And, and the, the, the cognitive dissonance here is that the hospitals are losing money. And yet like the VCs are just throwing so much money at all of these startups. They all have 
so much money, they're all going to be fine next year. But I think the year after that is going to be really interesting. Plus, we've seen some consolidation already. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? I throw that out there, right? I mean, maybe for the LPs that are throwing, you know, good money after bad. But again, to my opening statement about the great resignation, everybody's changing jobs. Just think about the folks that have been working at hospitals, vendors, that always had this good idea and finally got the money and an opportunity to go do it. So let a thousand different companies go to try solve XYZ. I think we'll all be better in the end. It does look frothy from the outside. And you're, you're right, Drex. I mean, even in my company, David Ting, with, this is the second company. I think they're looking for leaders who have been through it before and understand healthcare. But I think it's, it's a good thing. There's really no downside. Save some of the investors. Yeah. yeah I, I was there when Ann was trying to raise money and whatnot, and it was a lot harder back when you were trying to do it. <laughs> All right. Let me do this. This is the out question. What do you think is going to be the biggest movement, biggest story going into 2022? We've got two minutes per person. Drex, we will start with you. I'm just going to go around. I have Drex, Lee, Ann, and then Frank. Two minutes. What do you think the biggest movement or story is going to be going into next year? I, you know, so I think we passed the infrastructure plan. That's really big news this year. I think next year is the year when a lot of this really uh, begins to shake out and we start to really understand what a lot of that spending means for healthcare in cybersecurity in broadband and telehealth, how fast it's actually going to happen. I think that's a thing that I'm going to be watching for throughout next year. Fantastic. Lee? I agree with Drex. Uh, the broadband piece is huge. I think for rural communities, there's still this delta that, that exists out there that we have a lot of work to do to, to uncover. One of the things that I, I wanted to mention real quick is that we spent the last decade putting in place this kind of base digital infrastructure that's been pretty onerous, but it's helped us get to a certain level. But I really feel like 2022, 2023 are the years when we're going to begin to be able to see the fruits of our labors. And one of the ways that I think it's going to happen is just the pure digitization of elements that haven't been digitized before. So for example, the OR, I really feel like this concept of a single surgeon going in the OR after they've you know, finished their residency and have their board certification and then practice for 40 years in a silo, that's going to be blown out of the water. I feel like ORs are going to be digitally connected. There's going to be Surgeon A and Surgeon B having a conversation over this. I think augmented reality is going to play a role in that as well. And I really feel like the patient ultimately is going to be the benefactor of this digitization in the OR. Fantastic. And? You know, I actually don't make predictions. <laughs> <laughs> is, that your, is that your final answer? That is my final answer. I mean, I, my, I think my only prediction is, I think this digital process is going to continue. I think we're going to see the companies that have been around for a while, we're going to see more consolidation because there is a limited pool that everybody can go after. It seems like it's unlimited, but even, you know, in like they have to find customers somewhere and those customers are either patients or health systems or payers. And I do think that you have too many people knocking on anyone's door. Not everybody is going to get in. So I think you're going to see consolidation in the company has been around a while. These new ones have raised a whole bunch of money are going to be good for quite a bit. And then as some of those start failing, then we're all going to say, oh no, healthcare is hard. That's, <laughs> that's as far as I'm going to go. We're printing money. So the value of everything has gone up. A gallon of gas is now a, a ton more money. So I think that's one of the things that's driving is the returns that people are getting in the market and whatnot have really driven them to be a little bit more aggressive with their 
money. You have a lot of private equity money that has grown to points where I, literally people were telling me, we have more money than we know what to do with. Like we, we can't find places to put it and we don't want to have it sit in cash during a high inflationary period. We want it to be working somehow. And so they're under pressure to put it somewhere. It's, it's really kind of an interesting dynamic. Frank, next year, 2022, what do you think? I agree with Dan. I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation, but maybe from an IT perspective, honing in my, my first comment about IT labor shortage, rationalization of everything, facilities, applications, what have you. I think just there's just too much stuff in the system. I think Lee also said it, there's, or Drex, there's so much stuff that people in hospitals have been doing for so long, giving that up is tough. And I think there's going to be a mass uh, rationalization. I'd say if I had to put right behind it, automation, Again, tying back into this labor shortage, there's just so much stuff that involves people every day. Companies like UiPath, there's just an amazing amount of robotics uh, automation going on up there. Just, again, not enough skilled labor, IT shortages, what have you. So my two predictions, rationalization and automation. I was going to take your second one, automation. I think automation is huge in 2022. Now, I mean, if I was looking longer, further out than 2022, I'd probably talk about some other things. But I think next year, it's going to be about automation, clinical automation, uh, automation in the back off, both the clinical or the, the healthcare operations, as well as the IT operations. I think we're just going to see significant moves in terms of automation because you can't do all the things we're being asked to do with the number of people we have left, really. So it's, I think there's just going to be a big push. I think it's already started and we'll see. It's interesting. None of us talked about cybersecurity in 2022. So I guess we'll figure that out in 2022. We'll have no, no, no more. Drex, just out of curiosity, which way is your, because you track this, which way is the breach is going? Is it still growing every year? I, I think it's still growing every year. I think it's still going to be a challenge for a while. I, I would make a 2022 prediction though. We're starting to see it now. I think we're going to see governments and associated cybersecurity businesses working together to go on the offense a lot more than we have in the past. And probably not a lot of identifying who's doing what, but there'll be some, some good work going on in that space. Fantastic. I want to, I want to thank you guys, not only for coming on the show and doing this end of the year show, but just thank you for your ongoing partnership with This Week in Health IT and helping me steer the ship and figure out what, what we should be doing next. It's greatly appreciated. So thank you again. Thanks for, for all you do. And thanks for your insights into what's going to happen next year. We'll put all these on paper. Thank you for what you do for everybody out there. I think you've got a great service and people are learning a lot and bringing people together that probably never have talked before. So for sure. What a great discussion. If you know of someone that might benefit from our channel, from these kinds of discussions, please forward them a note. Perhaps your team, your staff. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to this show. It's, it's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or they can go wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, which is what I use, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're out there. They can find us. Go ahead, subscribe today, send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. Those are VMware, Hillrom, Starbridge Advisors, Aruba, and McAfee. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.